share with us this uh, mystery that Paul calls it a mystery between the union of Christ and his bride. And, uh, and we're going to sing about that wondrous mystery, a song brought to us a few years back by uh, writers from Getty Music. And it's such a, a beautiful lyric and it, it's deep in theology and, and doctrine. Please just grasp every word as we're singing. Don't just let them fly by. Figure out what it's telling you about this wonderful mystery 
that uh, we have with our risen Savior. time we're going to receive your tithes and offerings, Lord, and I say yours because they are yours, uh, really 
uh, everything that we have to our name is really not in our name. It is yours. And so, Lord, we give back a portion uh, to, of, of what you blessed us with in tithes and offerings, and we pray that they will be used to reach men and women, boys and girls, uh, with your great gospel, and uh, you will build your church as you have promised. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. at the center of it all, Jesus at the center of it all, from beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus, Jesus, sing it with us, Jesus, Jesus at the center of it
again, we've mentioned as we continue to pray here, we'll continue the series on husbands and wives today. And If you're impressed to come forward and just kneel at the altar and pray for your family, pray for your marriage, maybe you know another family or a couple that's struggling and you want to pray for them, let's just use these next two or three minutes to just lift these petitions up before the Lord, and then Brother Philip will close us in a, a time of prayer and on to the message, okay? Slip out now and come if you need to, and then we'll... Let those slip out that need to, and then you can be seated. Let's continue to pray. Father, we cry out to you in prayer, Lord, just to hear prayers being offered up on behalf of families and marital couples, Lord. We look to the only source. Lord, thank you for your word that reminds us of the source with your spirit filling us, with the Lord Jesus sanctifying us to become more like you, Lord Jesus. And we just pray, Lord, just join our brothers and sisters and pray for revival of your spirit among our marriages and our church. And Lord, may as your plan uh, has always been from the beginning that marriage would actually display the gospel to this world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 31, some of you thought I would never get to the end of chapter 5, but here we are. But don't rest just yet. This is really good stuff for us to hear. Verse 31 of the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Therefore, for the purpose of this, or for this reason, various translations there. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother... Hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Check this out. And I am saying, in other words, I'm saying that this great mystery is not the analogy, which is marriage. 
but it's the reality. Here's the reality. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. That's a summation of the 115 some odd words to the men that we've plowed through. Summation statement. And then for the wife, summation statement of the 40 some odd words instructed to you. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Well, we've learned something very important about marriage. We've learned that the Holy Spirit not only delights in bringing glory to Christ, but he delights in filling the husband and the wife in order for them to be able to bring Jesus glory. Right? Remember, we titled it Spirit-Filled Marriages, and then it led into the Spirit-Filled Husband and the Spirit-Filled Wife. All of that is connected. Remember, Jesus said in the Gospel of John that when the Spirit comes, he will glorify me. That's the goal of the Spirit. The goal is not in marriage just marital bliss. Now, we all like marital bliss. The goal of the Spirit in our marriages as he is controlling us is actually for a heavenly display. As he's sanctifying us and filling us, he does so with a specific intention. And that intention is that the union formed between a husband and a wife would in some measure reflect Jesus Christ and the church. So Paul has labored to instruct us on what we might call spirit-filled marriage. We might be prone to think that if we didn't have verse 31 and 33... That Paul would be just using the church and Christ as a nice illustration of earthly marriage. If we didn't have verse 31 and 30 through 33, we would think that maybe Christ and the church is just some kind of illustrative material that Paul reached and grabbed and said, Wow, the fact is, the earthly marriage uh, could easily be illustrated by Christ and his church. But that's not the way it works. In verse 31 through 33, Paul reveals to us that there is more in mind that he has in mind than just Christ and his church being a good illustration. He tells us in this section that marriage is, in fact, a profound mystery. And he's not talking about husband and wife. He's talking about Christ and his church. It's a profound mystery to think about Christ and his church. So Paul begins by giving us a quote from the Old Testament scriptures. He's going to quote the foundational passage for the ordination of and the divine institution of marriage. So that is very significant for us. Why? Because in Genesis 1 and 2, we actually have uh, three creation ordinances. Do you know what those are? There's three of them. The Sabbath, and I know we don't like this in America right now, work, amen, ordained by God before the fall, not as a result of the fall, but Adam was a gardener before the fall, okay? So we have three ordinances, Sabbath, work, and say it loud, marriage, say it loud, marriage. Why? Because our world says it's not ordained by God, it's just part of an evolutionary process, Men needed a woman, woman needed man, 
They just figured it out. Now, folks, God ordained marriage. And if mankind did it, we can tamper with it. If God did it, we better leave it alone. And God did it. So marriage is divinely ordained as an institution. It is ordained by God himself. And it was made for man. And after that was over, he says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. But after he made woman, and she was united with man, God says it was very good. So, we know in Genesis 2 that uh, the farmer is going to become a poet, and Adam's going to make this profound statement. Make your way over there, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2. Don't just believe me, believe the Bible, right? And here's what is said in this text. Matthew Henry says, the man was made and created from the dust of the earth, refined, but the woman was dust double refined. I like that. One step removed from the earth, the woman was made of a rib out of Adam's side, not made from his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon, but God made woman from his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near to his heart to be loved by him. You can learn a lot from old theologians. Matthew Henry. Okay, two points this morning. One, marriage is a creation ordinance and a divine institution. Okay? And then we're going to move to marriage as a picture of the loving and intimate relationship between Christ and his church. So since Paul is actually quoting the Old Testament, let us read it together. And please track with me, beginning in verse 21 of chapter 2 of Genesis. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, verse 24, Therefore a man, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So Moses will give verse 24 and make this divine institution very clear that this is something ordained by God, taking woman from his side, bringing her to the man, and in a sense giving us this divinely instituted marriage. And notice this, for this reason, therefore, because woman, please track with me, because woman is bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh, and she came out of man for that particular reason. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Don't you love this section of scripture? I do. He was looking at the most beautiful woman. Well, he was looking at the only woman. But she was no doubt beautiful to him. But he was looking at this incredible creation of God. And he says, paraphrase, oh, this is real good, right? This is what God makes for him. The social 
engineers of our day tell us that marriage is really not anything more, again, than an evolutionary development. Folks, according to the Word of God, marriage is a divine institution. It is a sacred institution. It's not a man thing. It's a God thing. After the statement of the origin of the, of the woman, then we have this declaration that now because of that, okay, you got to think Ephesians. We're going to go there in a moment. But based upon that particular declaration, it's incumbent upon a man to leave his father and mother. She was taken out of man, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She's taken out of man for this reason. Without, in the Hebrew, without missing a beat. For that reason, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave. And we like to say cleave, right? Those are two parts of it. Let me give you two things to think about. First, marriage is a preeminent relationship. Do you notice? Therefore shall a man leave and be joined to his wife. So Moses has given us the covenant of marriage. When you're married, the relationship with your parents changes. Right? Is that true, parents? Marriage takes precedent over all human relationships. That is something we need to think about. It's something you need to understand from the Word of God. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is giving a defense. The Pharisees say, well, Moses wrote a bill of divorcement. What do you say about that? And Jesus doesn't even address that. He just goes and says, from the beginning, it was not so. And then he begins to talk about marriage, uses this exact scripture. And why is he doing this? Because He's explaining to them, and they knew this in their Jewish culture, regarding a relationship, nothing compared to a relationship of a child with a father. Nothing compared to that. Son, father, daughter, father, nothing in their mind, in the Jewish mind, compared to that. Why does it not say, therefore, a woman shall leave a man, uh, her parents, and be born, uh, marry the man? Why? Because it was understood in Jewish culture that the woman would leave her mom and dad and actually take on the family name. She will become a part of her husband's family. However, for the husband, it was incumbent upon them to understand that that particular parental guidance and approval is now over. The preeminent of all human relationships is a husband and a wife. Numeral uno. Number one. Have you ever heard of in-law interference? There are three golden rules that I've learned over my lifetime about in-law interference. You ready for it? The first rule, hands off. The second rule, hearts open. The third rule is mouth shut. <laughs> Amen? Those are the three rules. Leave them alone. Now the fifth commandment remains intact, doesn't it? You shall honor your father and mother until the day that you die. But it looks different in that there is a leaving and a cleaving. There's a change in that nuclear family relationship so that men, according to the creation ordinance of marriage, your wife becomes your first and foremost priority, even above your children. What's happening in our country is the fact that we've moved away from how God instituted marriage. 
one man for one wife for a woman for a lifetime, and you are to be one another's preeminent allegiance. Other than the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The preeminent allegiance relationship is a husband and a wife. She comes first. Men, any parent who will not instill into their children that when you get married, your spouse comes first, you're doing an incredible disservice to your children. Make sure you let them know this. One of the greatest things, the greatest thing my parents ever taught me outside of the glory and simplicity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is that when I got married to my wife, Natalie, that was the very first preeminent number one relationship in my life outside of Christ. Is this making sense? Now, the Bible says marriage is a leaving and a cleaving. So it is the preeminent of all relationships. But number two, marriage is an intimate expression. The man should be united to his wife. That word in the Hebrew means to cleave to, to be joined to, to hold together tightly. When you get over to the New Testament and you understand that Greek word, it means to adhere to extreme, with extreme closeness. It means to be faithfully devoted to somebody or joined to someone. So this leaving and cleaving creates a covenant companionship. The partnership is made permanent by a vow and a covenant before a living, before the living God. So... Would we say by this that marriage is significant in the eyes of the Creator? Yes. This relationship, as we've just learned, is preeminent. But there's also this issue of the responsibility to be joined. And that brings us... All right, you got Ephesians 5 in your mind? Let it just stay over in the sticky side, okay? It's there. Don't, don't, don't divorce it from the context. But here's the deal about intimate in its expression... There's this one flesh principle. The two shall become one. So there's this intimate expression. The one flesh principle makes this a unique relationship. It makes it the most intimate expression in a human relationship of all other relationships. You may have a quiver full of children, but you only have one wife. Right? The significance of the one flesh principle is that it's a union reflected in sexual intimacy, intimacy, but always goes beyond sexual intimacy. If your marriage intimacy doesn't go beyond sexual intimacy, you're in trouble as you grow older. Are y'all awake? Yes. You're looking at me kind of strange. The significance is... The symbolic representation of sexual union is certainly all over the text, but it goes beyond sexual intimacy. Wayne Mack, years ago, wrote this. Indeed, the marriage act, speaking of marital intimacy, is the symbol or culmination of a more complete oneness. It's the total giving of you to another person. Consequently, if the more complete openness is not a reality, sexual relations will lose their meaning. God's intention is that when two people get married, they share everything. Their bodies, their possessions, their insights, their ideas, their abilities. Yes, their problems, their successes, their failures, and their sufferings. Husbands and wives are no longer two, but one, right? And this one flesh concept must 
manifest itself practically and tangibly and demonstrably in your marriage. It must. So this intimacy of one flesh must be a concrete reality. Listen, folks. Total intimacy and deep unity are part of God's blueprint for marriage. It is. This is the marriage institution ordained by God in Genesis 2. I don't have time to hit this aspect of it, but not only is it the preeminent of all human relationships and intimate in its expression, but it's also permanent in its commitment. What did the Lord say in Mark chapter 10? Beautiful text on marriage. What the Lord joins together, let not man put asunder. So we could talk about the permanence of marriage. And if you attend a wedding ceremony that I do, (laughs) coming up, right? Uh, Back in the back. So three of them coming up in October and November and December, three different months. Not all mine. Don't get nervous. Nathan's not getting married yet. He's just 15, (laughs) right? But we're trying to arrange that around here. Make sure he's out by 19, you know. No, but it's permanent in its expression, in its commitment, right? So what an awesome, poignant passage of Scripture we have in Genesis 2. There's also another poignant passage of Scripture, men and women. And I love this. Put this picture in your head. The Bible tells us that Sarah died. And the Bible tells us that Abraham weeps. They've been married 100 years. And Abraham is looking at the grave of Sarah and he weeps. The only thing that parted them was death. That's the goal. And I had this goal in our marriage. Natalie's heard me say this before. It may sound a little selfish. But I hope that we are married, if the Lord wills, 100 years. I don't think that's going to happen. Not a hundred years. But I have this goal in my marriage that one day one of us will weep over the other. Having been separated only by death. And this may sound a little selfish, but I hope she's the one weeping, not me. I hope we have 70 to 80 years together and I want to die one day before she does. And most of you men understand what that's about. One hundred years. That's awesome, isn't it? What a sacred, holy institution God has given us. Here at FBCO, we need to fight for what God ordained. We need to stand on what the Word of God says regarding marriage. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife. Heterosexual, God-ordained institution of marriage. God ordained it. It is His institution. Okay, second... Marriage is a picture of the loving and intimate relationship between Christ and his church. Okay, flipping back one more time. You should have been able to thump your Bible and it should have sprung right over to Ephesians chapter 5 because we've been there a while. Now, I'm going to pick up some steam here, okay? Give attention to the reading of the word. All right, very important. Look at it, verse 30. Because we are members of his body. Y'all ready? Because we are members of his body, that's Christ, his body, the bride, the church. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Okay. Paul simply says, 
for this reason. And Paul is doing more than just quoting Genesis 2.24. In the Greek, there is not any iota of introduction in the formula of doing this. He doesn't bracket it off. He doesn't say, and as Moses said, no, he, there's no introduction to the quotation, nor any connecting words for the quotation, except what is in the quotation itself. So Paul is taking the flow directly from verse 30 in Ephesians 30. We are members of his body. For this reason, shall a man leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In other words, the for this reason in verse 31 connects straight back to verse 30, just as Genesis 24, 2.24 connects back to verse 23. For this reason connects straight back to she is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Are you ready for this? The parallel that is made by Paul is more than just bringing in Genesis 2.24, as a, support, as a supporting text for marriage, Paul is bringing in Genesis 2.24 to show the parallel between Eve being bone of Adam's bone and flesh of Adam's flesh and being taken from him as we are members of Christ and his body. Amazing. I don't know what you think about that, but I agree with Paul. Profound mystery. Great Mystery. So Paul is making a profound statement that takes Genesis 2.24 a step further. Genesis 2.24 is now cast into a new light. This is what Ray Ortland says about it. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, Genesis 2.23. And we are members of his body, Ephesians 5.30, function as equivalent premises leading to the same conclusion. And that is that the two shall become one flesh in marriage, husband and wife, and Christ and his church. Right? That's what the text is saying. With this reasoning set forth in this passage, the Pauline, we are members of his body, and Moses is the two shall become one flesh, spring to life. And there actually is a breathtaking juxtaposition. They're right side by side. The first Adam's love for his wife as one flesh with himself, and the last Adam. Are you tracking? Have you read the Bible in 1 and 2 Corinthians? Who's called the second Adam or the last Adam? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first Adam's love for his wife as one flesh with him. And the last Adam's love for his body, the church, are now set alongside each other. And it's not just some kind of hermeneutical stunt. Paul's a pastor. He's given you the purpose and he's providing a model for Christian marriage which is grounded in the primeval human origins, yet it's reflective of something so much bigger than Adam and Eve. Your marriage is reflective of the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for his church. We've learned this in our study, that mystery in the Bible is not defined as some really good story that ends up you thinking, well, who did it? This person or this person, that's not what it means. Mystery in the Bible is something that at one time was not fully revealed, and now... It has been revealed. A mystery is something that may be obscure and concealed, but now fully it's been revealed. So Paul says this mystery is great. It's utterly profound. It is, it is incredibly, deeply significant. We might say this mystery is mind-blowing. Here's a little info for you. This is free. It doesn't cost anything. Did you know that in the 5th century, Jerome translated the Latin Vulgate... 
And when he arrived at 531, see it? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he says, I'm sorry, verse 32, this mystery is profound. The Greek word is mysterion. What's that sound like? Mystery. That's what it is in the Greek. He translated it sacramentum. Hmm. It is from Jerome's translation of the Vulgate saying the sacrament is great that the Roman Catholic Church gets that marriage is a sacrament. Sorry, but marriage is not a sacrament. But Paul is telling us that there is something about marriage that is a mystery. But what is Paul saying? The mystery for the Apostle Paul is not marriage per se, but what marriage is a type of and what marriage points to. You miss it. If you think only in terms of male, female brought together in a union as a mystery. We're talking about Christ and his church. And it's way more than just an illustration. Christ and the church is absolutely germane to everything Paul is arguing in Ephesians 5 beginning in verse 22. It's vitally important that we see this. And some of you will say, Pastor, are you certain of this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look what it says. This mystery is profound. And I am saying what? That it refers to Christ and his church. It was concealed all the way back in chapter 2, verse 24 of Genesis. And as you read those words, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined into his wife, Paul is saying that is the very type of Christ's Eternal love for his bride, the church. I don't know what y'all think about that, but I think that's pretty profound. It's absolutely incredible. Here's what John Piper says about this. God did not create the union of Christ and his church after the pattern of marriage. It's just the reverse. God created human marriage on the pattern of Christ's relationship to his church. And Paul would say, aha, that's what I'm talking about, right? Peter O'Brien says the Genesis passage then affirms that marriage makes husband and wife one body. It also explicates the union between Christ and his church. The parallel between the two are central to Paul's argument and their relationship is best understood in typology. Marriage on the human level is a type. It's a pattern of something that God has done that points something to something far greater. Your marriage is a living representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that ought to be lived out visibly before a lost world. That's what your marriage is. We might say it like this. Human marriage is pen ultimate. You know what that means? It's, just, it's a word that's right before the ultimate. So your marriage is really lived out right before the ultimate. The ultimate is Christ and his love for the church. And we're living this out in marriage. Do you see it? This mystery permeates Paul's teaching on marriage. The totality of marriage is to be a type of fulfillment of Christ's relationship to his church. Think of this. When God designed marriage, he wasn't just coming up with a way to populate the earth. Think of this. He wasn't just coming up with a way that a male and a female could live together. He wasn't just giving a blissful plan to allow a man and woman to live happily ever after. After. Listen to me. When the Lord God created marriage, 
He created marriage to reflect a relationship that already existed. For all eternity. Christ and His love for His church. That's why God made marriage. That is the ultimate reason. When God created marriage, marriage was created and designed to reveal Christ and His church. So this relationship of the husband and wife ordained in Genesis chapter 2, 23 through 24, is a type of Christ and His bride. Do you know that in the Old Testament, who was to be Yahweh's bride? And how many times does it say this? So many times. Who's to be the bride of Who's to be God's, Yahweh's bride in the Old Testament? Say it. Israel, right? It was Israel itself. Was Israel faithful? No. Unfaithful bride. In Jeremiah 3, God actually writes her a certificate of divorce because of her continual covenant infidelity. Yet you still have this picture of Yahweh and Israel as his bride. It's a theme that becomes the predominant theme in the prophets. It's not just a picture of Christ and the bride. It's the picture of that, the fact that the bride takes part in harlotry. She is an adulteress. She, she, takes, she moves into what's called spiritual whoredom. If you don't believe that, just read Hosea. Just read Hosea. And think about what the Lord God is teaching us with Hosea and Gomer versus God and Israel. When we move from the Old Testament revelation of Yahweh and his bride, the covenant people of God who were so unfaithful, Israel, and you start to move into the New Testament revelation, what you begin to see with clearer, more definitive lines, with content and substance, is that Jesus Christ is Yahweh God. You see it clearly in the Bible. Remember this question? They come to him and they say this, Why don't you, your disciples, fast? Like the disciples of the Pharisees. I remember that question. What did Jesus say? You don't fast when the bridegroom is present. Isn't that awesome? You don't fast when Yahweh is in your presence. You worship. The bridegroom. He calls himself the bridegroom. I am the husband. And I'm engaged to be married. That's what he's saying. Furthermore, the bride is not simply national, ethnic ethnic Israel in covenant with God just because Abraham's blood is coursing through your veins. But what do we know? The bride is now multi-ethnic. It's a composition of Jews and Gentiles. It's people all over the world making up the bride of Christ. So hear this. Adam points us to Jesus. Eve points us to the church. Matthew Henry once again gives us a taste of this. Follow the analogy. Adam was a figure of him that was to come. For out of the side of Christ, the second Adam, his spouse, the church, was formed. And when he slept the deep sleep of death upon the cross, in order to which his side was open and there came out blood and water, it was blood to purchase his bride and water to purify her unto himself. Woo! Motivated, motivated by self-denying love, Christ gave himself to a bloody, humiliating, and painful death for the sake of redeeming his people. To God be the glory. That's what God did. This is incredible love, folks. 
It is, it is a love that the Father shared with you when he chose you in him before the very foundation of the world. And in love, he predestined you unto adoption. That's love, folks. That's the love of God exemplified in this text. Here it is demonstrated, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's redemption. Because of his work on the cross, we are saved. We experience this salvation and enter into a relational bond with Christ by putting our faith in him in belief, all because of what he accomplished for us. And as a result, you're set apart. 526, you remember that? In Ephesians, we're set apart, and he unites us with himself in a union that can be approximated by the metaphor of verse 30, becoming members of his body. Does everybody understand that, or should I go back and start over? Right? God, it's amazing what's in this text. This closeness of the intimacy suggested by the nature of marriage in the way that God established it in the beginning, referencing Christ and his church, it's just unbelievable. It's a mystery. Paul reveals that whenever man and woman come together in the marriage, the two shall become one Flesh, And it points us to this great, wonderful mystery of the connection between Christ and his church. Now look, here's my application. You ready? The mystery ought to compel all of us to look beyond the commonness of our marriages. Right? You go to sleep with one another. You wake up with one another. You eat with one another. You travel with one another. You raise kids with that person. There's a day in, day in, out. Right? Day in, day out commonness to marriage and I know it's the way life's supposed to be but please let Ephesians 5 31 and 32 assist you in looking beyond the commonness of marriage we can all be so desensitized to the beauty and significance of marriage when we miss this particular picture we don't need to let the commonness of everyday life desensitize us to the real reality of why God put the two of you together amen God did this for a reason. It's utterly profound and bigger than anything we could ever imagine. This union that you have can become so accustomed, so so normal. But there's a beauty and there's a grandeur to it that God has placed in it that is greater than anything we could ever imagine. We don't need to be desensitized. Lay hold of what God has done, what he is saying and what he is speaking. Again, we can come, become so familiar with the contours, the ins and outs, the ups and downs of marriage that we lose the spiritual perception of Christ and his love for his church or the church's response to Christ. Okay? Finally. How many times have y'all heard that? However, listen. Let each one of you Love his wife as himself. Breaking down the Greek, rarely, I think there's only one other time that Paul in the New Testament says each one. And why is he doing this to you guys? He's individualizing it for you. Yes, he's talking to you, men, if you're married. There are no circumstances that get you out of this. Is that that clear enough? That's how Paul says it and why he says it in that manner. Each one of you, each man in this room that's married, No way to get out of it. Let each of you love his wife as himself. 
Why? Because when you're loving your body as it's been given to you, you are living out Christ loving his body, the church. Right? Okay, then for the women, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Does anybody notice something interesting about this? He doesn't run back to verse 22, wives submit. You would think that he would say, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she submits to her husband. Why does she say respect? Verse 21, let your eyes look up the page. Submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Do y'all know what Greek word reverence is? Phobia, phobos, fear. You know what the word is in verse 33? You guessed it. Respects is the word phobia, fear. So this is why this is important. That's called an inclusio. Verse 21 starts reverence and fear. And verse 33 is the bookends. Puts it in a book for you. Is it telling you, wife, that you need to be servial fear of your husband? No. This is reverential respect for the position. We respect Christ because he is the head of the church. And then, wives, you are to respect your husbands because God has ordained a role for the husband and a role for the wife. And you are to see to it that you honor that position that God has given him. All right. I thought about how to end this sermon. And I'm not good at turning flips anymore. And I don't think I want to run on this stage quite yet. No, seriously, here's what I was thinking about. Next Sunday night, our church will take part in what's called the Lord's Supper. It's been a while since we've done that due to the summer and things. But it's a beautiful time, isn't it, to take part of the Lord's Supper. And here's what I thought about. We're going to come here, in here on the 18th for communion. And we're going to have this table set up. And let's just say, for instance, we don't have the nice trays out. We've just got paper plates. And instead of bread and the fruit of the vine... We have M&M's and root beer. Would you be upset? You wouldn't? You should be. You just step right in it, amen? Just serve it on paper plates. Kids come by and grab a handful of M&M's and they're like, Coolly, best Lord's Supper I've ever been to in my life, right? Here's the deal, folks. Jesus' body cannot be represented with M&M's. Jesus' blood cannot be represented with root beer. We would say that's irreverent, and you'd be correct. You would be destroying the picture. You would ruin the picture of what God is telling you about the broken body and the actual blood of Christ that was spilled on Calvary's cross. That doesn't, it's, in that, it's not in that cup anymore. It never was in that cup. It was on Calvary's cross, right? Shed for you. But that fruit of the vine is symbolic to what Jesus did for you. We will be irreverent if we did that. And we would be destroying the picture that God gives us of the Lord's Supper. Don't be guilty of ruining the picture God has given you to this world. Don't vandalize the picture of your marriage that's supposed to be of the reality of Christ and his love for the church. Don't ruin the picture. Love her like Christ loved his own body. That is why Christ gave himself up for her. 
Be a living portrait of what Christ's love for his church is all about. This verse is a rebuke in so many ways to what we see on TV and the media. Don't let your kids watch that garbage. Don't let them watch shows where the husband is made out to be a buffoon. And the only one that's got any sense is the wife. That is a spit against the sovereign God who created male-female relationships. Don't do it. Don't allow them to see that kind of stuff. Hosea chapter 2. Let me me put this together. Chiefs do not play till 3 o'clock. Andy's already told me. All right. (laughs) Chapter 2. Just listen to this. Chapter 2 of Hosea. Verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. He's telling this to people who have played the harlot. Listen, the focus is not on me. It's on I, God. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. That's not enough. Revelation chapter 19 beginning in verse 7. Let's read verse 6. It's too good. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out hallelujah for the Lord our God the Lord Almighty reigns let us rejoice and exult and give the give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and pure there's an old song when Nat and I were growing up I remember it How's it go? I hear the rustling of angels' words, and it sounds so close. And the choir begins to sing, it's the heavenly host. You ever heard that song? And then it goes like this, it's the wedding song I hear as the bridegroom draws near just on the other side. They're playing, here comes the bride. Amen. Do you see it? Christ is the bridegroom. Those who are saved is the bride. Of Christ. And one day he's coming. He's coming. Amen. If you don't know Christ, what a great day to come to know him. Right? Today is the day of salvation. Respond to him. If you know the Spirit of God is drawing you and you're caught in the valley of decision, just give up. Surrender yourself. Bow your heart and your knee to Jesus. Trust in him only for salvation. He's the only one that paid the price. He's the only one that shed his blood to forgive you of your sins. Receive him and you'll become the bride of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the word. Father, I know some of the terminology is sometimes difficult for us to grasp. But Lord, I've done the best I know how to do to get us to understand the beauty of Christ and his love for the church. And Father, we praise you for the marriages in our church, earthly marriages. 
beautiful, beautiful representations that they are to me and my wife. To view those marriages in our church. And how we can draw from one another and encourage one another along the way. And God, would you strengthen our marriages. Make us spirit-filled men controlled by you. Help us to be spirit-filled wives controlled by you. May we have spirit-filled marriages. But all along the way, help us not to succumb and be desensitized to the commonness of marriage without looking to Christ and his church as the ultimate model of what we are actually living out. You love the church from the foundation of the world. And in time and space, you gave yourself for her on the cross. Lord God, help us to think about that kind of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Come behold this wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree, dying for you our sins. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption, see the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death, the Son of God. But no grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope, Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he what a foretaste what a foretaste of deliverance how unwavering our hope christ in power resurrected as we will be when he Well, praise the Lord. The series regarding husband and wife is kind of past us in Ephesians 5. But bring all your children next week. Amen? I guarantee you're going to rope them in here. You want to hear this Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And we'll start into that. But I want to say this to married couples. I don't have a perfect marriage. And I can't give you all the perfect advice in the world. But I'm here to help you if you need it. Right, church family? And there are a lot of married couples in this church. They're not perfect. I can promise you that. None of us are. But they got a lot of experience. And they can shed light on a lot of things to help you in your own pilgrimage in your marriage. So don't sit there uh, and don't reach out, right? Make sure you reach out for help if you need it. We'll do whatever it takes to get that help for you. Amen? All right. To God be the glory. Tonight at 530, we'll meet in the commons. Come in the... Door three, we've got numbers right here now. 
door three at the Commons, and we'll have uh, a lot of information that you can go on ministry need visits, and we've got a lot of them. You can go to uh, people that we think may not know the Lord. You can go to people who visit our church. But join me and help us. Okay, if you can come tonight at 5.30, we'll be in the Commons, and we'll get uh, our assignment given to you with a map to tell you how to get to their home. And um, I think it's a good thing to, for the church to go on visitation. Amen. Amen. I may that, it may sound old-fashioned, but it's better than nothing. All right? All right. Brother David, did I get everything? I think we got it. God bless you. Let's sing Arise, Shine. Our light has come. Arise, shine.